0: Too. They Came From Outer Space, a radio program where we talk to filmmakers and buffs about their favorite sci-fi film and how it relates to their own work and today's wild world. I'm filmmaker Cameron Kitt, also known here on WRIR as DJ Lilas, and you're tuned in to wrir LP 97.3 FM, Richmond Indie Radio, and I'm very excited to be here on our 39th episode with screenwriter and movie buff Victor Caressel to talk about the 2020 psychological sci-fi thriller, Possessor. Our next contract's a big one.
1: The target is the CEO of the largest operation in the U.S. You'll be binding to Colin Tate. We can't afford any mistakes on this one. Ready?
0: What's with you today?
1: What do you mean? Happy to be here. Uh, Thanks Mm -hmm. for having me so much, Cameron.
0: Thank you for coming. Um, So for those who don't know this voice, you should. You should be grateful to this voice because Victor uh, is a screenwriter. He's a film buff, like I said. He was a Jeopardy auditionist, and he's a good chunk of the reason why WRIR's own 48 hour film team, Face for Radio, won Best Picture Runner-Up in 2018 for our Ghost Jump Scare film. (laughs) That's what (laughs) I've been calling it. Negative Space. Yeah so uh yeah thank you victor for your for your work and that
1: uh, very much appreciated thank you for being our fearless leader through that
0: yeah I hope I hope Wr goes on to do more 48hour stuff I love the overlay um Victor also shares a special special love of horror because his screenplay you will never walk alone which was written in 2017 correct Finished uh it
1: started in 2015 2016 30, 30. but officially ended or completed early uh 2020.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. In,
1: in quarantine.
0: Oh, I haven't read the newest draft then.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <gasps> there's, a, not, there's not too much different, but I did actually take some notes from you. Okay. Yeah.
0: Wow. Ooh. <laughs> I would love to share my screenplay with you. Um, and anyone out there listening, if you want to read my screenplay, please inquire at CameronRVideo at gmail.com. Um, I will send it to you. All right. So I so, his screenplay called You Will Never Walk Alone, it melts together the plot lines of five of the biggest horror dynasty series all into one kind of ultimate scare fest. Is that still correct?
1: Yeah, that's. Uh, I guess that's a good way of explaining it. It, it. it takes elements of five what I consider like prime, I guess, horror franchises and kind of distills um, the themes of them into a single story and in five individual characters that kind of represent them uh, while also tying it into the, um, I guess the inherent traumas that are present in horror movies, especially against mm. women. So kind of, um, kind of explaining and trying to deconstruct what what happens to women in horror movies and how they react to it.
0: That and 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 yet yeah, how they deal with the trauma that's left over after the movie's done. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I like thought it very much a twenty twenty version. Right. I mean, you watched the most recent um Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. I felt like that was definitely a kind of like feminist-izing. yeah, the, the the series. And I will be honest, I was so here for it. I was like, yes. Yes. Yeah, like, I, at that point, I don't care if I'm being pandered to if it's a good story, right? <laughs> like, please pander to me if, it, if yeah. it's also a good story. To uh, so, I was so- very,
1: I was very pleased to see that they were taking it in that direction, because it seems like it on the surface, it felt a little fan servicey, um, or like fan fictiony, that it would she would be this kind of like survivalist wilderness person, but it really does work with the character like when you would it get really into the gritty dead. the only thing and we'll get into possessor obviously because i have a, we have a lot to say about it but i do want to make this note i always found it funny that she was living in the wilderness just like 20 minutes away from where michael myers was like you think she would <laughs> you think she'd get further away
0: <laughs> she had to keep she had to keep an eye on him it was yeah like, i guess it was, it's like the plot twist in um silence of the lambs where she realizes that he had always been the 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 killer always been living there so i mean i like that so it picks up on jamie lee curtis's character you know she's a mother i think she's a grandmother but she has like how the trauma of that storyline has turned her into basically like an obsessed prepper um yeah i thought that was kind of interesting and and i think it's not bad that it shares parallels with yours of course we are going to talk about Brandon Cronenberg's film *Possessor*, but I actually have yet another thing to talk about. I think the, the Richmond is, listeners would be interested. <laughs> I'm just noticing this. So you talk about horror. We we start. We we did our best in the horror fest in the 48 hour fest. What is it about Richmond that has such a horror connection? I mean, there's Edgar Allan Poe. There's the you know all the blood that's drenched the streets from the slave <laughs> trade. Like, what is it?
1: Yeah, um, I, that's a good question. I don't know the answer. I mean, I'm not a Richmond native. Um, and I. I don't know if horror, I I definitely started listening and reading more and watching more horror fiction around when I moved to Richmond in 2016. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if that had any relation to real world events or just happened to coincide with just an age that I was living in um, or or an age that I was. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe uh, it's the
0: James River, some spooky. Maybe it. there's a lot of know. bodies in the James. There's a lot of bodies in the James. There's just something about there's this connection. It's not that the city itself is bad or spooky. It's like, I don't know. I'm sure you felt that this just feels like there's a lot of history for an American city, right? Yeah, it's for
1: sure. Taking um, over a lot. So. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you picked this film and boy, boy, oh boy. So I had not seen it. I wanted to see it when, it, when the trailer came out. When, if you guys have not heard of the film Possessor, I'm going to give you a quick overview. Um, I highly recommend seeking it out. I watched it on Amazon Prime. There are ways to watch it other than that. But released in 2020, Possessor was written and directed by Canadian filmmaker Brandon Cronenberg, son of horror icon David Cronenberg, who listeners you may know as the director of Scanners, The Dead Zone, and The Fly, one of my personal favorites. Possessor stars Andrea Riseborough as Voss, A woman who inhabits the minds of others through brain implant technology. As an elite assassin for a secretive evil corporation, she takes control of victims' bodies in order to force them to commit murders and suicides. But this idea, you might be surprised, is mentally taxing, and Voss is fraying at the edges. Her newest host, Colin, played by Christopher Abbott, refuses to fully submit to the physical and psychological takeover, and the disembodied assassin and her victim enter into a dangerous tug-of-war that threatens to obliterate them both. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so this show is going to have some spoilers. We're going to pretty much spoil everything, but that doesn't necessarily ruin the the effect. If you would, however, like to stop listening, you can always come back to us on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify at They Came From Outer Space. Um, but there are studies that show that some light spoilage actually increases your enjoyment. And I, I would say this would go extremely well for this film because there's so much that we cannot explain as so much visually that is, is brought across by this film that is, you just have to experience. So even if you listen all the way through, that shouldn't stop you from listening before you watch. So um, let's get into it. Victor, what's the biggest thing that really stood out to you
1: when you were watching this? So, this movie kind of came on me as a surprise. I had heard about it and I was aware of Brandon Cronenberg as an entity and that he was related to um, his father, David. Um, I had not seen to the, uh, to that point um, his first movie antiviral, which I have since watched this weekend. Um, And we can talk about uh, the relation between antiviral and possessor a little later. Um, But I kind of went into this movie blind. Um, I had seen the poster and I knew the basic, uh, synopsis basically the the log line that you just um you just read was all i knew about it i didn't watch the trailer i kind of just went in knowing i, I wanted some ultra violent sci-fi like cronenberg goodness and um this movie just totally took me by surprise um i unfortunately did not have the chance to see it in a the theater i this is the movie from 2020 that i so wish i could have seen in the theater most um and there are there are a bunch that came out last year that i would have loved to see in theaters um Mm -hmm. And it's one of those every couple years, there's just a small kind of overlooked sci-fi movie that has such amazing concepts that are explored in such a precise minimalist way that that's so subtle, but the, the way that the world is built and the way that it explores the world through the character is, it just like captivates me. And previous ones were like under the skin, um, her primer, um, like all these tiny little just specks of ideas of sci- sci-fi movies that seem so small on the surface but are go towards these just like giant awesome ideas that I'm so glad that somebody of this caliber kind of filmmaker like with those other movies got to that idea first because there are so many ways that this idea and the this world and these characters could have been ruined. That mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so so happy that this movie was made the way that it was and by the people that it was,
0: yeah. It really does. It, it, you know, when you said you wanted some ultra violent sci fi Cronenberg goodness, like that is exactly what this film is. And in interviews, I it? feel like Brandon, you know, Brandon struggles being his dad's son, and he says he saw said in multiple interviews, like, I'm not all about legacy. But like he is, you know, <laughs>
1: like, he's a chip off the old block. That's and for that's, sure. <laughs> and
0: everyone's fine with that, right? Like I found myself thinking, would he have gotten into Sundance if it, if his name wasn't Cronenberg? Probably because the film is really good. But like you know, it's like no. there's it's it's not a bad thing to be his son and build a legacy. It's weird because sometimes I feel like I would criticize filmmakers for copying their their parents if they did. But in this case, I was like, thank you for filling a need that I didn't know I had. Right, like thank you for serving this film yeah. to me. Yeah, I'm it, just so grateful for it. Yeah,
1: and, and to that point, I I think there's a couple. I I do overall agree with you in in terms of. I think there is a lot of nepotism in Hollywood. Um, this not being technically speaking a Hollywood movie, I guess helps a little bit. Um,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I could not find the budget. This is the only. I went on IMDb Pro. They did. It's like not released.
1: I did not. Yeah, oh, I didn't look that one up either. I saw the antiviral. His movie. His first movie was about three million dollars Canadian, um, mm-hmm. which is. Uh, like a pittance these days that's yeah
0: it's that's like nothing. that's what that's like ultra budget low budget right? that's, like... yeah
1: that's a single like <laughs> effect shot in a marvel superhero movie <laughs> these days yeah that's um, like 25
0: seconds of a marvel but, movie but yeah, yeah
1: it, it, as for his relation to his dad i mean i i think this is this stands up against any cronenberg movie any david cronenberg movie that i've seen personally yeah. and it takes the similar ideas i mean he he definitely took that theme of how tech how we interact with technology and how technology affects us and changes us he definitely took that from his father but the way that he used it both in antiviral and um possessor and how he just how he shoots them and how he frames them and how he uses the characters with them it feels so it feels contemporary not that kronenberg feels old at all i mean he was ahead of his time in more ways than one but he definitely adapts that style to his own and makes it his own to the point where if you didn't tell me that it was a, if you didn't tell me that it Brandon Cronenberg was the person who made it or that, or that the person who made this was direct, was related to David Cronenberg. I could probably get a sense like, Oh, this person really likes Cronenberg stuff, but I I wouldn't consider it a a ripoff or no. a, or even an homage. Even like, I, I think it's just, um, I think he's just kind of making very similar themes his own um, in a lot of great ways.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I, I This is the first time I've taken a moment to really assess, like, in terms of quality, do I think that this is as good as his father's films? And I have to realize, I think they're actually better. I've only seen The Fly, so I can't speak to it, but I was like, wow. Okay. It's, I know that Cronenberg is like, he's he's a master, right? Um, but there's this film is not campy. <laughs> this <laughs> film is like the opposite. And it's like...
1: It, it definitely is not a feel good film, um, which I mean I, I feel like for some reason I don't know what happened. I had a very nice childhood. I I grew up well. I I had friends and everything. I, I was not like mistreated or anything. I don't know what draws me to these just bummer films that <laughs> that like just have themes of alienation and body horror and just the ripping down of a person to their their essential like negative aspects but man those get me i my I mom
0: just... no like i my mom's favorite movie is melancholia so oh. like in our home i
1: could i could talk for two hours about <laughs> melancholia like, i love that movie
0: like movies that movies that make you see the ultimate darkness and that and that in some ways you know i don't know feel feel very nihilist
1: right yeah it, it, yeah that's nihilist is i think a good term for it um the weird thing is with movies like this and Melancholia, and um, I just watched uh, a couple weeks ago uh, von Trier's other movie, Dancer in the Dark. I've um, never, I'd never seen, seen that before. It's a musical. It's a almost three hour long musical starring Bjork. It, it's it just leaves you feeling so hollow. And for some reason, like movies like that and and Possessor and Melancholia, I get such a weird like bittersweet high at the end. It's like like Melancholia to me is has the happiest sad ending of any movie that I've what ever seen. What
0: are you talking about? I don't I
1: don't know what it is. I just whenever I watch it, I'm at the end, I'm like at peace with myself.
0: All right, for those of <laughs> you who are just tuning in, this is they came from outer space. I'm Cameron Kitt here with Victor Caressel and we're talking about uh Possessor, but we're more recently talking about a film called Melancholia where the earth crashes into the earth and everyone
1: dies. <laughs> Yeah. And she is okay with that.
0: <laughs> and she's okay with that. Isn't that the last... Okay, it's been a while. I think once I watched it maybe five years ago, I was like, cool, this is the only time I ever need to see this. Like, I'm done forever. Like, I yeah. love it. It's beautiful. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget these images. So I think what you and I are talking about here is we're trying to put, you know, human language to describe something with which cinematic language was described for, right? We're trying to, 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 like explain away the vibe the feeling that this film gave us which is exactly the reason it was made was because it was trying to express something that you can't express otherwise if he had if he could have done it I'm sure he would have written a book his dad was also a writer like but the the film does a really good job of, of using its medium for something that only it can do so Absolutely. tell me a little bit yeah like I just I, f- I kept finding myself feeling like enraptured by feeling that was a ra- that was brought to me just by like images of curtains and walls and and like setting and place yeah. and music and,
1: like and that's that's something that I think upon watching a couple other Cronenberg movies this weekend um, now I think I've seen about half a dozen of uh, David Cronenberg's movies so far and then also both of Brandon Cronenberg's movies the the thing that I'm struck with is how how beautiful they are like they mm-hmm. they look they see you see such ugly horrific imagery on the screen and it's shot so beautifully and. It, it it gives this kind of grotesque appreciation to horror and gore in addition to just things in the world. Like um, the beginning of this movie is um, set in a, uh, I think it's a hotel lounge or a, a restaurant. I, I wasn't exactly clear on it. Mm-hmm. Um, when uh, Tasia Voss is possessing um, Holly Gardner, I think her name is, mm-hmm. the the black woman at the beginning of the movie. And mm-hmm. she we kind of just get... Just establishing shots of uh, a golden hallway and a water fountain that's shot at 24 hertz, which t- makes the water kind of jump around and go back up. Mm-hmm. And just like shots like that are just so well done. And they actually make sense narratively in the movie. There, there are reasons for them. Um, but just the way that Brandon Kronberg uses macro photography and extreme close ups of people's eyes and people's just skin and all these things that look so strange when they're up close um, that we never really take into account. Like it, it it kind of, he kind of brings the physical aspect of our humanity to the forefront and just kind of makes us confront like our own bodies. And then also on the flip side of that, when he tears them apart or like, mm-hmm. destroys them with bullets or knives or whatever, you you just see that beauty kind of just fade away into this weird pulpy mishmash of guts and teeth and bone and everything. And it's just such an interesting visual style that, uh, I mean, David Cronenberg absolutely did that too back in the eighties and he, they're not the only people to do it, but that something about that is just so it it almost makes it not horror in a way. way. It's
0: science fiction to me. Like that was more, I was intrigued. I was intrigued to the film by the images of the, machinery which toss or tossier or Voss is put under right yeah. the, the trunks and like all those things that are very in, in line with the like kind of unwelcome black mirror future
1: yeah that I, I imagine right did you get like an HR Geiger vibe off the hood like oh, that, that's absolutely. what that whole that's what that whole room kind of it felt reminded to me. me oh the
0: Geiger room and it, the thing it kind of looked like an elephant trunk in a way right yeah. like there's so much I just so so the thing that uh, it made so much sense to me, and I texted you about this, was, oh my gosh, they spent seven years in pre-production, yeah. so it feels it feels tight, it feels sharp, it doesn't feel, you know. And so I think we also have to pay homage to Kareem Hussein, who is the DP, absolutely, a longtime friend of David Kronenberg, or, or Brandon, and Brandon, and he grew up together on the same street, and I think he's a little bit older than Brandon, but that they they worked together over the course of seven years. After I think he also did Antiviral as his DP. Right, yeah. so like long time collaborators so they worked on building the visual style of language that they would use together and I think that comes through so that it's almost like you're getting the effect of the Coen brothers where it's like the two minds are more powerful than one right that he had so much when, when the cinematography comes through that strongly it's clear that that person has a voice in the storytelling and like even before I saw the, the sound wave water which we'll get into in a second because like, gosh that's so cool just the shot of the hotel like I was like goodness whoever did the scouting just yeah. scouting alone of like choices of where to shoot makes such a big difference in like angle of the camera. There's so many things about this that could have been done conventionally. But I felt like awe and unease at the same time, which is really impressive.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So going back to the seven years in pre-production, um, so Brandon Kronenberg had talked about what he wanted the visual style of this movie to look like and and how he wanted the world to be presented. And um he mentioned in some of the behind the scenes stuff that it so it, it's kind of hard to to catch i guess in the movie upon first watch i only really started noticing it on the second time i watched it um that this movie does not te- take place in the future technically um it takes hmm. place according to brandon Cronenberg in an alternate 2008 which you can only in world notice from a, a date uh, a date stamp on one of the news reports um hmm. otherwise it's kind of just ambiguous but the the tech that's used, like the the flip phones and some of the more articulated, uh, like uh, wire not like wired in tech and circuitry and stuff like that. That that all kind of indicates that instead of he felt inst- the way to get to the point that they are in that world now. He felt the best way to do that would be to instead of and also kind of thematically making it instead of a cautionary tale from the future. More of a like here's where we went right instead of the world actually going left back in two thousand or whatever, and t- 10 20 years down the road like that's this is where they are now from that so hmm. he didn't he didn't specify what what happened in the world that changed to get this kind of tech, but um that that kind of feeds into the whole this isn't our world, and he just wanted locations and tech that kind of just skewed it a little bit and framing of certain um, rooms and angles and everything he wanted to just make it feel a little a little off so like in when you would look for an alleyway he didn't want just a normal alleyway he wanted one that was a little askew or mm. one that they could shoot in kind of a more like german expressionist like weird yeah, angle and stuff so
0: much sense and yeah.
1: uh yeah so just to even if it wasn't conscious even if you didn't really actively notice mm-hmm. that that room doesn't look normal like i uh the goal was to to kind of throw you off and just make you feel like you are not of this world
0: yeah i I mean i felt that right yeah. i mean all of the, all of the choices like for some reason i keep thinking out of the um zoo trope what is the name of the office zoo through. Uh, zoo
1: through yeah zoo
0: through offices i just remember being like there aren't there aren't offices like that like you know like there's a the choice that is a little bit otherworldly so here's a question for you in the possessor universe do you think that the possessing technology is known or a complete classified secret? By the
1: so, so that is an amazing topic that I am so glad that Brandon Cronenberg never brought up in the movie. Um, I think he definitely has an answer for that, which I don't know if he would ever want to divulge in the interviews that I listened to with him. He didn't really uh, expand on the lore of the world anymore. And, and I don't think he would ever plan to. But what I think the... Well, in my opinion, what any aspiring filmmaker that wants to make a movie like this should do is before you even put pen to paper, I think you need to have, you need to know all those answers and be willing to not give them within the medium that you're describing mm-hmm. them. Like, I, I, I guarantee somewhere on a computer or a notebook or something that Brandon Cronenberg has a like 50 page Bible of here's how the tech works, here is when it was invented, here's other applications that it's been used for. Here's the history mm-hmm. and backstories of these characters. And then just don't show it to anybody because you don't need to. You, the only thing that we need to know is within the, the time frame of this movie or within the the, the timeline of the film itself. And I'm so glad that they didn't expand on that. Um, that being said, I, I think this is probably a very covert, um, maybe military based technology, uh, but I, I think in order for it to, to work, it has to be a little unknown because it, it really is like the perfect crime if nobody is, has any pre-existing crime. knowledge of I'm- it because you you kidnap the per- you kidnap the, the target, I guess, or the, the host. You implant this device in their head and it's pretty minimally invasive. That person just, I guess, that that's the only thing is I wonder if they do some sort of memory erasing for the, the moments leading up to the kidnapping, because otherwise it's kind of gonna be kind of startling. Though.
0: Yeah, but once the host takes over, it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, it, I guess. But then, oh, that's a good point because they kill them afterwards. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, and then it's- then the loose then the loose end is the device, the wireless transmission device dissolves in their brain after a couple of days, so it's untraceable. It's brilliant. It's
0: very scary. It's very scary, but I think the thing that sells it is the level of like absolute complicity of everyone at the company and the undertones of discussion around capitalism, right? Yeah, that are absolutely. inherently coming through. Also, just Jennifer Jason Leigh in, in it just oh. existing. Like, gosh, like the. I'm so proud of the casting. I'm just the like, way, oh my goodness, the,
1: the way that she portrays the character Girder is just so brilliant. Like the so. The, the the phrase that kept coming back to me when I was watching this movie came from, I, I don't know if it came from an article uh, or if they, the art, I just read the article that that referenced it, but um there's a movie, a very overlooked movie from 2011, 12, maybe called uh, They Look Like People. And it's a really, really small budget horror movie um, that is basically just a guy who thinks that there are, is paranoid that there are people around him that are not who they say they are and they're aliens or some other shapeshift entity that's trying to um, manipulate or, or kill him or something. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so, so just low level and so calm. And um, there's, there, there's something sinister le- lurking behind the scenes. But other than that, it's just kind of a guy going throughout his day. And, and the, the title of the the review for it called it the horror of the mundane. And that, that term has just stuck with me for so long with movies like this where the, the real horror of this isn't that there's some global conspiracy to manipulate everybody and, uh, and kill a bunch of world leaders or whatever. It's just that there's a company out there that if you pay them money, they will hack into this person's brain, kill another person that you want, and then kill that person, and then you pay them and you just go about your day. And it's just kind of understood that it happens. And yeah. it's it's an accepted business and it's not really controversial all that all all that
0: much. I don't know. There weren't any windows in any of those offices. I don't know how open they are, right? Like it's all pretty underground dark
1: Well, absolutely, but it, no, it's exactly. a known it's a known entity. Like the person we don't know. The tar- um, well the target of um the person that, that ordered the hit was the either the or related to um Parse in some way, Sean Bean's character. Um so right. he, he clearly had some connection to hire these corporate assassins, even if it's they're not advertising on billboards, obviously. But it's okay. a it it seems like a if you know the right people, you can get this done. Same, similar to Inception, it, it think, seems like that yeah. same kind of thing.
0: But Inception never felt anti-capitalist, right? Like I never got I, that vibe. Did you? I never. No, felt like and and that
1: and that's actually one of the notes that I made is comparing the not just the world building, but the the way that the tech is integrated into the, the story. Mm-hmm. And that's Inception, first off, is a brilliant movie. I, I still love Inception. Oh yeah. I we watch stand. it. We once, stand. I watch it at least once a year. Um and I appreciate it in different ways every time. But one thing that kind of frustrates me every time I watch it is that there are so there's just so much storytelling in that movie that they have almost no time to actually talk about the world and how it impacts the characters and and what it means to have this technology available and the the two things that i always catch on that that frustrate me the most is do you remember when um do you remember what the reason for the inception technology being created was they mentioned it very briefly no it is uh it was built by the u.s army or the military to so that soldiers could uh in dreams, like shoot and stab and kill each other without any actual issue, like any actual deaths happening. And that single idea like that, that's the movie, in my opinion, like the, the justification or not the justification, the, the ramifications of that existing and like how that technology would actually be used in society is so much bigger than a single heist. Like I, I frankly don't care about the rest of the movie. Once I hear that, because it kind of makes me mad, (laughs) But, mm-hmm. but like we don't get to see the geopolitical future that happens because this technology exists.
0: So there are a lot of things to unpack there, but for those of you who are just tuning in, my name is Cameron Kitt also known here on WRIR as DJ Liless, and you're tuned in to they Came From Outer Space, which is a show where we talk to filmmakers and buffs about sci-fi movies that they love and how they affect our work. We're talking about the film Possessor, which came out last year by Brandon Cronenberg. And one of the things that I think is important to, to break down between that is, yeah, the, the horror of the mundane, but the fact that this movie has no exposition and it works so perfectly well, right? Yeah. Like how it to me is a paragon. I'm writing my own screenplay now, just like most filmmakers who are in quarantine, and I struggle with the, the level of exposition that to me feels absolutely necessary, right? And this film, yeah, for sure. the mundanity of it is that everyone is completely bought in. Nobody needs to explain to each other why or what's happening, right? Except for maybe the fact that Tassia, or I guess we should just call her Voss, has to kind of reassert, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm going to keep pressing ahead. The thing that got me was how involved everyone is, and there's no motive explained for why they all care so much about completing the corporate mission, and the fact that the choice to do corporate espionage was, such, was, a, was a conscious one because Brandon Cronenberg came up with the idea of people possessing, possessing each other's bodies. And the way he wanted to tell that story and the way he brought it together was, you know, the first person who's killed was a lawyer. And then the second person who's targeted is the CEO of a large data mining business. So they're, yeah. they were doing it as a corporate takeover. Hey, we can come in and take over this business once these people are killed. So it just felt like advanced corporate hostile takeovers right yeah. like that was just the that was the it wasn't going to be done for corporate for for um political assassinations or i guess killing serial killers no we're just going to kill people <laughs> who stand in the way of our corporate entity growing yeah. you know and that everyone is like completely bought in on that and that there's these women who are the thing that got me is like the women in the truck when they pick up um colin right like what do these, these women know what they're doing right like the, the business is so large and to me, like inherently, that's saying the capitalist machine makes us all implicit killers. Yeah, that's, how, that's where my brain is, at least. Like, like yeah,
1: it, it, this movie is all about, regardless of the tech, it's about being a slave to corporate loyalty, and and ultimately, mm-hmm. that's what Voss is
0: She's more loyal driving. to that than her own ex husband and child.
1: Yeah, so uh, actually, that point is something I want to get to later because I have a whole bunch of notes on that. Oh, you but do on, on the the tech and how it relates to inception where inception in my opinion doesn't uh, I don't think it even touches I, I don't think Nolan cared about the implications of using the technology for corporate purposes like I I don't think he wrote his characters to have any thoughts on it I think it was just a purely um, for for Cobbs character I think the only and this is one of Nolan's um, flaws in my opinion I, I think he just wrote a character that Wanted to get back to his children because that's what humans do, um, and he didn't really think anything more on the um, the character's perspective of the usage of that tech. Whereas, I I fully think that Brandon Cronenberg, with all of the Possessor tech and, and even the the Zuthru tech um, in the movie, I think he he knows exactly how he feels about it, and by him making the movie not talk about it he describes what he thinks about it and what he uh-huh. thinks that humanity thinks about that kind of tech cuz uh-huh. and it, it's really well um summarized in that conversation between um colin, so i think it was right after uh colin gets back from the mine when um voss is possessing him and he goes and has uh drinks with his is it his wife or just his girlfriend i forget I
0: girlfriend he says he says my future son-in-law so i think their fiance
1: gotcha Um, uh, his fiance and then their friends and one one of the friends speaks up very briefly about like i can't believe you would work at that place and then gets kind of shut down by another person who works there and the other person that works there um the friend her only complaint with the company is that the division that colin works in has like slave conditions not for the work that they're doing the just it's the, the fact that evil. yeah, yeah. <laughs> just the fact that they don't treat the workers who are doing this awful work better.
0: <laughs> I really liked what you just said, though, which is that we we can infer that Brandon has opinions about these things, and by not saying them, we understand how he feels. Like, can you explain what you mean by that a little more?
1: Yeah, so I in I, I'm kind of relating it more to Inception, so. Possessor definitely has a statement to make about the our obsession with technology and our our the normalization of this kind of corporate surveillance that is happening and um, and the horror that like the realization that the real horror isn't really that they're looking at us so much and that they're invading our privacy so much as we're, we're no longer people we're just data points or targets or products or something mm-hmm. else like we're. That, I think the the real horror is the loss of humanity with tech technology uh-huh. um whereas inception doesn't say anything about that. It's more i I had this cool idea, and I want to spend two and a half hours telling you about my cool idea,
0: making a Leonardo think piece, yeah, yeah,
1: and I don't really I don't really have anything to say about it. It's just I thought this idea was cool, but it's really complicated, so I have to tell you all about it. <laughs>
0: But here's a here's the real kicker. Which film was more effective? Because if one of them's goal was to, it, I guess it depends on your goals, right? We know I mean, that we know that Inception has reached many more people. So does that make it more successful, more effective? I mean,
1: def, def, define successful,
0: right? You know? Yeah. Okay. Because, so I mean, I need I had to watch.
1: Yeah. I had to watch Inception four times in theaters before I got it. Really, <laughs> I, I I had notes. I really considered myself only understanding it until. So I watched it in college. It came out when I was in my sophomore yeah, junior I had the year. Same maybe
0: experience. I remember and, leaving and being like, "Wait, so wait, so yeah, yeah. good point. Good and point." And then,
1: um, and that was when like message boards and IMDb and stuff were were probably at their peak in terms of this kind of movie discussion. Um, but, uh. I I only considered myself having understood Inception really when I was able to explain the plot to my uh, college roommate who English was not his first language. It's so, like once yeah. I once I could do that, I felt like okay, I got the movie, I understand it. But still, once that kind of happened, there's not much left to it. Like there there's not much discussion uh-huh. of the the themes whether what Cobb was doing was right or wrong or just what this tech means for the world and what it means to the person that you're doing it to. Um, It's just a thing. It's just a tool that is used to make a story. And the the other thing that I think is so interesting about, um, and to Inception's credit, Possessor owes a lot to Inception in in terms of idea. Also to movies like Existence, um, which was- Oh, I love Existence. Um,
0: Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Existence.
1: And I guess um, there are others that I can't think of, but- I, I just think that Possessor does such a good job of getting all the the necessary mechanics and processes down that you need to understand on how this world works and how the characters interact with each other and stuff without actually giving you these big monologues of,
0: here's mm-hmm. what's happening,
1: here's why it's a problem. So I will say that um, I, I I own the, the Blu-ray for this movie. Uh, I watched both so did you watch uh the theatrical cut or the uncut version
0: i chose to not i had the option to watch the uncut and i was like yeah, yeah. no fast <laughs> yeah so i
1: watched i watched i've seen this movie twice now and the first time i watched the regular version and then the second time was uncut um mm-hmm. which is it, it's it's brutal i mean it it i wouldn't say it's much worse than the first one but there's a very interesting scene um like a very interesting, I guess, shot that is cut out of the, the regular version that kind of speaks to Voss's character, um, which we can talk about later. But um, there were also deleted scenes on the um, on the Blu-ray. And there are three deleted scenes. And I think all of them, in a way, kind of, I understand why they were deleted. And I think it was an a A-plus decision on to, to delete them. So the first one was um, right after, I think it was right after she pulled out from the first job, the Holly job and she um and before she goes to her um her husband in child's house she has she goes to an apartment of her own which apparently she she stays at herself and she has a a kind of ai therapist where it's a big wall screen and it's just like a close-up of um a man with glasses so you just kind of see his eyes but it doesn't really look like it's a real person it's just supposed to be like a stock image of a therapist and she talks to this computer for a while and says um, I just had a panic attack, and when I was in the hotel, I saw, um, I, I saw a water fountain, but it, the water was going up, um, and I think uh... that means I, I. I think that means at that moment I kind of lost control of the host, and I was worried I couldn't get it back. That like all that whole conversation, it's maybe only two and a half three minutes, it says so much about how the connection works and what the risk of losing the connection, and it, it just is not necessary. Like I got all of that. From watching the movie twice. I, I didn't it didn't add anything new to the um to the the character really. And then the second uh the second deleted scene was a scene between Colin being possessed by Voss and Reed, the um the the hire the person who hired uh I th- I believe the company's name that does the possessing is called like Tetratron or something, um, it's it's mentioned it's mentioned very briefly on the form that um, it's some it's some lame just generic. Term. I know, I just uh,
0: it's like an eighties like villain in the video game. Yeah, like, something really
1: like cool. it's. I think it's like a fourth generation Pokemon. Um, yeah, Tetratron. But uh, he confronts Colin during the party that Parse is having and says. Um, Like, basically just saying, like, what happened? It was right after he confronted... um, I forget. Actually, I forget exactly when it happens. I think it's when he is starting to kind of lose it, or Voss is losing connection a little bit, and she goes into that pool room. Um, Reed comes in, and they talk for a little bit, and he mentions, uh, like Colin mentions, or Voss, through Colin, mentions, um, like, you can't be here that long. It can create bad memories or conflicting memories or whatever. Um, And then Reed says... Uh, just they kind of talk about the contract and and what happens afterwards and stuff like, that. and it just didn't add anything. Like I I, I love the idea that um, similar to Inception, we never we never meet really or we don't really talk about the the contract itself. Like the idea the idea that they're incepting doesn't really matter ultimately. And also the person that they're doing this job for in Possessor doesn't really matter. I don't need to know his motivations or anything. What the movie is about is how Voss feels about the work as a whole and and what this is doing to her her soul and her her humanity so introducing those kind of external elements it, it doesn't really add anything so i'm, I'm yeah. glad that he, he cut that stuff out
0: and it's cool that he still gets to show you but that the like the film is an hour and 40 minutes which i was grateful for right it's a hundred minutes it's it, that was nice yeah. right like that's and nice it's tight feels every tight. It yeah feels every tight.
1: scene goes And it's got it keeps its tension the whole way. Um, Like it feels like at any moment there could just be a burst of violence, or that Colin could lose or Voss could lose control of Colin. And um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, he he does a great job of of walking that that wire.
0: Yeah, we see. There's only one scene between her accepting the job. She just had a taxing job. She's barely able to hold like her her grasp on reality. And then she's like, I got to go back to work and kill more people because I can't handle this um i love that like they yeah just like so much is never explained but like there's she's given the job you only see her in the apartment across the street watching him and imitating his speech before oh, she it's such a good goes, shot and i keep thinking about that like that is all we needed you know yep. in my mind i would have wanted to do so much more of a montage but like you and in, you inherently know like yeah. that's what's so cool about film language is like if you are literate in it and you're able to explain, you know, people will go with it. People will understand what you're trying to say. If you, if you can, if you can kind of express yourself clearly.
1: Yeah. And, and that was, that show speaks to Brandon's confidence in filmmaking. So, so early on, this is only a second movie. And then he's done a couple short films, like to, to hold yeah. back from doing all of that exposition and getting into the nitty gritty of like the prep phase for, doing a job like this there could have been a whole montage of like her learning about how he walks and how yeah following him all the typical
0: hollywood stuff yeah she's a seasoned
1: veteran she knows how this job is done she's probably played a man before um yeah like Mm -hmm. i I love that they just spent like they just gave us a little taste of this is what the kind of work that goes into it but we don't need to waste time doing all the details
0: we assume we assume from that single moment from that scene that much more prep went in and that's what's so interesting about like the kind of uh, I don't know what the word is there's a phrase for it where we where we make inherent assumptions right between one cut and the next if you show if you show a woman pregnant and then you show an empty baby carriage rocking back and forth right we we make an assumption that she lost the baby yeah right like you, that's what film language does
1: it's not quite there's something called the Kuleshov effect, which that's is it. more I don't know if it's exactly that because I think that's more you read a face in a certain way based on the, the cuts necess- or the cuts of, uh- before and after but it, but de- it definitely could be related to that, if not exactly that. It's this
0: idea of like, that, yeah, I guess what I'm talking about is like what editing actually is and cool yeah. job effect is like a very specific form of that. But, but basically the idea that, you know, we're presenting a series of images that might not make sense to any other species, but we completely understand as a cohesive narrative. The cool thing about it is it's a very non-cohesive narrative in a lot of ways. Like yeah. you really do feel like you're going crazy right there with her which is something that I guess I was raised to enjoy, just like you were for some reason while watching movies. Like, I'm like, oh yeah. Like, yeah. ooh, is she fraying at the edges? Like, oh, all right.
1: Like, this yeah. is so and, awesome. And just the way that Brandon decided to visualize the the possessing process and the the control process, it could have just as easily been some sort of cheesy VR or like CGI space where like the Matrix, like they're in a void and she's looking through files or something like that to, to access memories or something. But for it to be this just like visceral, physical effect of like the melting and the the unmelting and the tearing of your face away, uh, like that that that's the kind of world building that speaks so much to the the character and what's going through what the character is going through um, that I love so much about this.
0: Can we, we have about 10 minutes before this episode. For those of you tuning in, we're definitely going to be doing a part two because I'm not even like halfway through all my notes because I have so many themes I want to talk about. So two, I have two things I want to touch on before this episode ends. One is just Andrea Riseborough, Great. Right? Like.
1: <laughs> Give her an Oscar. <laughs>
0: this honestly. is Oblivion, from Oblivion who yeah. I loved. She was like the administrator. No, no, yeah. no. She was the wifey. wifey.
1: Um, She's the admin. I, I don't remember. I very vaguely remember Oblivion, but I.
0: I specifically
1: remember Andrea Riseborough in that movie And that's kind of what tuned me into her And but... she was
0: in Mandy, so she's kind of having a little bit of a moment Oh, but she that... was
1: in Mandy, alright, yeah the She movie... was in Birdman She's she's one of the most interesting actresses Working right now, I think
0: And I'm just like, I want to give a shout out to The casting directors um, Deirdre, Bra- Deirdre Bowen And Pam Dixon Deirdre Bowen was the casting director for The Cube So I'm <laughs> glad that she's like getting hers this is a very Canadian film. So like pretty yeah. much everybody who worked on it was Canadian and had a surprisingly, to me, I don't know, a surprising level of darkness for Canadian films. Maybe I don't watch enough like Canadian horror, but like, wow, it really cuts deep. But the scene where she's like, I don't know, basically every scene where she exists, she's just killing it. Like the amount of emotion that you need to convey in this film. And also let's give a shout out to the guy who played Colin for oh. it's very hard to portray a man a woman trapped in a man's body who's controlling you, right? Yeah, like,
1: it, that's, that's the. Not easy. <laughs> that's the thing that I and you don't even really <laughs> on trapped. the surface yeah. think about it at first when you're when you're watching it. Is ninety percent of the movie you see him? as not, It's not him as her He's playing being a different him, character, yeah. yeah and that's it, just
0: so impressive to me. Like he did it. He did it pretty seamlessly. Like I didn't. I didn't ever feel pulled out of the moment by him. No, uh, there are very there are very few moments or performances where. I noticed the acting, right? Like where I noticed the acting in a negative way where I felt pulled out by the character being the character or not being the character, but she, she carried so much in, in her decisions, her pauses and her looks. And I, yeah, I can't, I mean, what do you think was like your favorite moment acting wise for her from the film?
1: Ooh, that's tough. Cause there, there's so many. Um, what I love most about the, the character in the design of the character is the, just the physical look of her the decision and apparently it was a decision both by brandon and andrea to make her look almost not human like kind of like a shell of a person so they Mm -hmm. they had her makeup be be very gaunt and they made her almost albino uh hair and skin um
0: yeah i they have some not flattering shots of her let's put it that way
1: (laughs) yeah i mean the (laughs) my my favorite my favorite scene in the whole movie is the the first scene that we see of her um, in the in her normal space? So the, so the one where she's vaping outside of her uh, family's house and just rehearsing yeah. what to say, um, just how to like reminding herself of how to be a person um, that a herself
0: and that choice. First of all, that choice was great because we were, we were repeating like that. That that comes back to this theme of identity, which I think is one of the central ones. You know like what is what is identity you know and so she uses these kind of touchstone words which we come to realize later are her touchstone words to maintain her hold on her identity while within these people Yeah. right darling i'm so start like thinking about who i am right i'm a person and she's repeating it to herself but that setting was so striking wasn't it that setting where it's 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 a bunch of uh garage doors that lead down the street yeah you see a house there's places like location. that in Vienna. I used to live there in in Vienna and Richmond not there at that location, but I used to live in places that had those rows of garage doors and you could see a home at the end. But at first glance, there's something, you know, very weirdly like Sims about it, right? It felt it feels very like simulation. Yeah. Um <laughs> What did you think of when you saw that that house location? Uh,
1: it it yeah, it felt very do- just domestic and it felt like something that you wouldn't expect a character who does the work that she does to have any connection to that kind of that living space and that in that kind of world you you almost expect when because when you see these uh these kind of more not high concept necessarily but these real extreme sci-fi concepts of like the matrix and um not under the same like uh equilibrium is one that kind of came to mind for this mm-hmm. uh, for, mm-hmm. for a different reason um and stuff like that like they they heighten all of the the settings too so it, it, it it's almost in this like future society like a blade runner style society where i i almost expected at first for it to not be our world at all for it to be in like the 2030s or 40s and once you went yeah. outside there was gonna be flying cars and there were gonna be like just a whole bunch of rain and neon signs and stuff but then for it to cut that's really the first time outside of the the hotel, seat, like the first scene, and then the
0: um, yeah, the, like corporate the, bunker the hood
1: scene. Yeah, but like we didn't know what the world was going to look like, and then it just looks like a normal Canadian suburb, and I, it, it's I, so striking.
0: I didn't read it as normal though, right? Like there's some. It's like it's like what you mentioned earlier. He did a great job with location scouting, or whoever the location scout was, props yeah. of choosing places that look normal but feel subconsciously off. Yeah. Right. So there's something off about it in that, like maybe it's a little too uniform and to go a little meta with the film analysis, the fact that she has to walk past what must be like a dozen to maybe 20 garages to get to her house. To me, I think is symbolic of the garage being like the place where you store all these goods that are kind of who you are, but it's really just like the trash, right. For most adults is kind of like representative of her going into these hosts, right. She has to walk past all these garages before she can get to her own home. It's like, there's this kind of buffer between her and her family um, that should be there. Cause she's not, (laughs) she shouldn't, she's a villain. She's terrifying. Um, Um, But what were you going to say? The
1: other, so the other thing about that scene is, um, it's kind of the first, one of the first scenes where we see her just herself um, in her, her own life. And I I don't know if you picked up on this, but the cinematography, there was a conscious choice to uh, film her film boss when she's herself is all handheld. Um, every every time she's possess she's in a possessor in somebody else's body. It's cam. so that's supposed to, according to um, the cinematographer, it's supposed to convey that she she doesn't feel herself when she's herself. She she feels uncomfortable in that world, but she when she belongs in the body of other people. Um, yeah, so everything's steadier and everything is is nicer and more colorful and um, cleaner when she's possessing somebody. And I I think that speaks to the other kind of hidden theme of the movie which is that this movie is also kind of about the experience of acting it's it's about like the metaphor of acting and how and how it like possession is just the acting experience and how in my opinion all actors need to be like a little bit psychotic like there's this weird paradox where you have to be in touch with so many different kinds of psyches and different kinds of peoples but to be able to that and to turn yourself up and down and in and out on a whim you kind of have to not be able to have your own personality like you kind of have to just infuse or uh like just get rid of everything that makes you a person for a cup for a limited time to fully embody a different person and uh so i i think that is so kind of strange when i hear stories about like i don't know if you've heard uh like christian bale and gary oldman are two method actors that they embody so many different characters and people and accents that even apparently Gary Oldman for a a period of time lost his accent because he was doing so many different characters that he forgot how he sounded. And he had to hire a speech therapist just to get his, um, his English accent back to what it was before. And like when you hear Christian Bale talk now, it's just a mishmash of Welsh and English and American and like a little Australian. It's just so it's not, it's, he's not, who he was 20 years ago and this kind of is the it, it just shows what that process is like and that's really clear when they do the the calibrating the calibrator device and mm, it, this smiling kind of, like, and the laughing there you go and the from smiling. like it that looks like I, I i'm not an actor so i don't know but it looks like that would be like a stage like an acting uh technique like
0: i can make that connection that's yeah, like exactly somebody it. yelling
1: like one to ten happy sad angry and you're supposed to like just replicate that on the fly like it feels like that would be a thing that you would practice in acting school i
0: think it i think it's representative of acting in that even if method actors like yes you have to inhabit the character you still have to bring yourself and your own decisions into that person right so that's yeah. a really beautiful analogy or like a metaphor right you're you literally inserting yourself in the person's body and forcing yourself to move because it's also talking about the pain of acting, right? Like it's not working. And then of course, like the trouble at home as she comes to terms with her identity, that like she feels more comfortable in someone else's skin, that she enjoys getting away with things that she can't get away with as a normal human, right. That she's no. addicted to acting. Um, I would really love to hear actors perspective on this. Please reach out, follow us on they came from outer space on, on Instagram. Uh uh, watch the film and let me know how you feel about it in relation to your chosen profession yeah. because yeah I mean it, it. obviously if if that's I don't know if that's the intentional core theme for him but it's not exactly a, it's kind of more of an indictment of acting right it's not exactly a glowing praise
1: <laughs> of, I don't know if I would say it's an indictment or not I think it's just kind of a natural phenomenon. And so this is what, this is what he talked about as the, the impetus for the movie was he was doing press tours for his first movie antiviral. And he was talking about how, when he'd have to go out for the day and do a press junket, he would wake up and kind of have to put on this, this face in this persona of like, I'm going to be real excited. I'm going to talk about the movie regardless of how I'm feeling. And I'm just going to be this kind of person for these people until I can get home and, and just the exhaustion and the strange sensation that that was of just kind of shifting perspectives from one uh, interview to the other and, and trying to be all these different people. Um, right. That, so that's where that idea came from.
0: We are definitely going to keep talking about this on, on the next episode. This will be our part two. So you're going to have to tune in in two weeks um, and it will be posted wherever you're listening on Spotify, Mixcloud, Apple Podcasts. Um, So we got to wrap up now. I've been talking with Victor Kressel, a screenwriter, a Richmond based movie buff about the film Possessor, which came out in 2020 directed and written by Brandon Cronenberg. I'm Cameron Kitt. You've been tuning into 97.3 FM WRIR and Victor, thanks for coming on. And I can't wait to talk to you for part two.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Cameron. This was actually the first podcast I've ever been on. So you popped my proverbial podcast, Cherry. (laughs)
0: All right. (laughs) We're going to put that cherry in a mixed drink for next week. All right, you guys. We will talk to you soon with part two of Possessor. Make sure you follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. They came from outer space. And thanks for listening to WRIR. Oh, meow.